Hello everyone, welcome back to another episode of Point of Insanity Game Studios Geekery in General Podcast. Going to be resuming our series on legendary weapons. This week, going to be taking a look at weapons from Russian and Slavic folklore. Now, of course, the mispronunciation disclaimer is in effect. I do not speak these languages, so I will most likely be mispronouncing a lot of words in today's show. Also, I don't have as much to talk about with the, when I get to the actual weapons part. And the reason why is because in the short amount of time I had to research for this uh, episode, unfortunately, I couldn't find a lot of specific information. Some of the poems and stories that these weapons came from, while I did find some links to those stories on the on the internet... Unfortunately, the pages were in Russian, so they're, you know, they, they didn't really do me much good. But I do hope you'll at least find the information I do have for you today both useful for your Dungeons & Dragons campaign, as well as at least entertaining, even if you don't plan on using it for D&D. Now, Russia, like some of the other countries I've talked about in this series, don't really get a lot of coverage in the works of Dungeons and Dragons. At least from my experience, I haven't really seen any supplements dedicated to Russia, and I really haven't seen much in the way of Russian or Slavic influences in uh, the Dungeons and Dragons products that I personally own or that I have seen. Now, the, a lot of the information that I'm going to be giving you today traces its roots back to Bailini, and these are East Slavic folk poems. Often, these poems are based on historical people and events that have been exaggerated or embellished in order to tell a more exciting story. The name Bailini, or I've also sometimes seen Bailina, which I think Bailina is supposed to be singular, but essentially it means something that was. Folk singers often refer to Bailini as Starlini, which means something to the effect of stories of old. Many of these songs and poems were believed to have been composed between the 10th and 13th centuries. This was before the Tartar invasion which caused the downfall of Eastern Slavic civilization. Some of the stories were preserved in the early 1600s by a man named Richard James, an Englishman who had spent some time traveling in Russia. In the 1880s, a man named Kirsha Danilov published a collection of 70 Bilini from miners who lived near the Ural Mountains in western Russia. Later, a Russian folklorist named Ivan Sakharov published several books containing these stories. His work proved to be popular, and it inspired others to preserve these songs and poems. Bailini appears to have remained active 
until the, at least the 19th and 20th centuries, but generally only in northern Russia. In the mid-1800s, Pavel Rybenkov, a Russian historian, made an accidental discovery. Due to a storm, he was stranded on an island in Lake Wunga. He heard the singing of a bilina, and when he found the singer, he asked him to repeat the song so he could write it down. He would go on to collect several more of these songs and published books about them from 1861 to 1867. Now, these tales often have a simple structure, probably because they were primarily transmitted orally. Usually, this structure consisted of an introduction, a narrative, and an epilogue. The introduction often begins with a hero where he is given a task to perform. The narrative details the task, and usually the events are exaggerated to make a more exciting story. The epilogue will contain the hero's reward or the moral of the story. Bailini often have a number of scenes or tropes in common, so we can compare them to stories of the monomyth as described by Joseph Campbell. And again, longtime listeners, uh, you might remember back in episode 97, I did an entire episode on the monomyth. So the monomyth is essentially a, a a theory that, or maybe some people might just call it an observation, that historical myths tend to follow a very specific structure. And as I talked about before, not everyone thinks that the monomyth is a good or useful tool. Uh, Some people think that one of the big problems with the monomyth is that it's so vague as to be meaningless, as it's not really that difficult to, you know, look through movies or TV shows or stories and look for events that you could try to interpret in the context of the monomyth of the heroic initiation. Now, oftentimes, the Bailini incorporated references to Christian as well as Slavic pagan beliefs. Some common tropes in Bellini include the hero at a feast, the hero taking leave of his family, stories about the hero's birth or childhood, entering a council chamber, the hero saddling or urging on his horse, exchanging taunts with an enemy, much like the flightings that we see in Norse mythology, a hero making alliance with another hero, battling a monster, a hero returning just in time to save his city, and encountering a sorceress who could turn men into animals, much like Circe from Greek mythology. Many of these tales involve Bogatyr, a type of character similar to the knight-errant of Western European lore. These men would roam the land and go on various adventures to prove their strength and skill. The word Bogatyr is not believed to be of Russian origin, but 
it is believed to have its roots in various Mongolian words, meaning hero, warrior, or brave. And not only that, I did notice the last part of it, Tyr, uh, is the name of the Norse uh, god of war and justice. Not saying that they that word borrowed anything from you know Norse languages, but I just thought that was interesting. While these men are often pictured as being physically powerful, and they rarely use magic to overcome their foes. There are also female equivalents known as Polinistas. Like their male counterparts, these women are pictured as being exceptionally strong and exceptionally brave. Usually, they are married to a bogatir, and in some stories, they even save their husbands from danger. The three most important bogatirs are Dobriana Nikodvich, and he is believed to be based on a real person who served as the tutor to Vladimir the Great. Dobriana was both a diplomat and a warrior. He was said to be an excellent archer, wrestler, and swimmer. Next is Ila Muromets. He's known for his physical and spiritual strength. It is believed that he may be based on several different historical people. He's also been canonized by the Russian Orthodox Church. It is said he got his superhuman strength from a giant he befriended. As the giant died, with its last breath, he bestowed some of his strength on Ilya. And finally, there is Ilosha Popovich. He's often pictured somewhat as a trickster who uses his wits to overcome his foes as opposed to brute strength. All three of these men are pictured in a famous painting, appropriately called Bogatyrs, by a Russian artist named Viktor Vesnetsov. This artist was well known for specializing in paintings dealing with mythological, legendary, and historical events. We'll take a look at some weapons from Russian and Slavic folklore right after this quick break. Hey! This is Adventures Anthology, or what we lovingly call DNDAA. We're a native Green Bay group of four players in our DM, Micah Brault, who all come from different backgrounds and have different experiences and skill levels within Dungeons & Dragons. Our campaign takes place in a created homebrew universe of various genres, and we have a tasty cocktail drink every session. We'll have one-shots with special guests like Blake McClellan from Mindless Productions. We run raffles for miniatures, and potentially we'll do some meetups in the future. So come check out our website and join the conversations at Adventures Anthology on Spotify. So if you like Dungeons & Dragons, role-playing, and drinking shots to craft cocktails, check us out. Thank you. And we're back. Now before I talk about the weapons, I'd like to talk a little bit more about the Bogatir. As I said before, unfortunately, I wasn't able to find a lot of information in the amount of time I had to research this. But as far as the Bogatir, I think this could be an interesting kit or prestige class for a D&D campaign. As far as what to give them, I would say giving them a saving throw bonus to fear 
and maybe even later levels give them complete immunity because, again, they were often said to be very brave and maybe give them a little bit of a strength boost when they get to a little bit higher level. But I would also give them a reaction bonus with when dealing with uh, peasants and other people because they were said to be very well-respected heroes. Another reason I think it could be interesting as a kit or a prestige class is because, at least from my research, it seems to be hinted that there's some types of magic weapons that can only be used by a bogatier. Now, the first sword I'd like to talk about is called Cladinets. It's also known as Samosek or Samosak. Now, these names seem to have had multiple translations, sometimes as generic as Magic Sword. Other times, they had been translated as Sword of Steel, Hidden Sword, or Self-Swinging Sword. So I think if we choose to approach this type of weapon as being not necessarily a distinct weapon, but a weapon that took whatever form that was necessary, and thus there could be multiple uh, different variations of it, I, I think you could have a lot of room to determine how you would want to stat out this sword. Probably would make it a long sword or broad sword. And since one of the translations is self-swinging sword, you could give it the properties of a sword of dancing. Any other different uh, powers you might want to give, again, might depend on the nature of your campaign. Since, again, like I said before, one of the translations for this name is just generic, is just magic sword, which could be generic, but I just thought it would be nice to include it because, like I said, there is that mention of one of the translations meaning self-swinging sword. And that just made me think of a dancing sword. And if you didn't want to include a dancing sword in your campaign, maybe just give it a little bit higher bonus because that higher attack roll bonus will certainly make it easier to uh, hit, which could be because the sword is partly swinging itself, even if it never leaves the hero's hand. Now, this sword is mentioned in the tale of Yuroslan Lazavarich along with two other items, a flaming spear and a flaming shield. Now, unfortunately, I wasn't able to find any English translations of the story, so I'm pretty much going to be doing my own interpretations here. The flaming spear weapon is easy enough. You could give it the same properties as a flaming sword, where, again, it can ignite things on fire by touch, and not only that, it gains progressively higher bonuses against avians, undead, and anything weak against fire. Now, the flame shield, I can think of a couple interesting powers we could give to that weapon. I mean, I would certainly at least have it radiate some heat, but I think its main bonus would be it should give a saving throw bonus to any cold or ice-based attacks as well as reducing damage from those attacks by one or two points per die. So again, I could see that as being a very useful weapon, especially if, again, you're doing a Russian-based campaign, and if your heroes are venturing into Siberia or some of the other parts of northern Russia where it's very cold. 
the next couple items I'd like to talk about have to do with one of the Bogatir that I mentioned before, Dobriana. He had two magic items of notes that I could find information on. The first was a spear. He used it to slay a dragon who kidnapped Prince Vladimir's niece, Zabvana Putyatishna. Dobriana set off to find the princess on a horse named Burko, and he was armed with a spear and a whip. While rescuing some captives, his horse was wounded by the dragon's hatchlings, but he used the magic of the whip to heal the horse, and we'll talk about that in just a moment. Well, he found the dragon, and it was said they fought for three days. He was about to give up, but he heard a voice from heaven telling him to fight for three more hours. After three hours passed, he defeated the dragon. However, the dragon's blood wouldn't seep into the ground, and he was forced to wallow in it for three days. And when I heard about that, I'm like, okay, I know they're probably exaggerating here, but how much blood did they think that was in a dragon's body that it would take you, that you'd be stuck in it for three days? But anyways, so like I said, the blood wouldn't sweep into the ground, so he was trapped in it. And then he heard a voice from heaven telling him to stick the spear in the ground and say a prayer, which caused the blood to be swallowed by the earth. Now, it would be easy to envision this spear as having the properties of a sword of dragon slain, but I would probably go a different route. I would give it a pretty good magic bonus, at least plus three, but I would also have the spear give the wielder a constitution bonus and allow him to push his endurance to superhuman levels. And the reason I thought about that is because, again, it was said that he battled a dragon for three straight days and that he was able to survive wallowing in the dragon's blood for another three days after that. So definitely, I think the spear, whether you just want to maybe have it where... I think there's a different few different ways you could play with it. You could maybe have it that it gives them like a, a pretty good bonus to their con, like plus two or maybe even more, maybe even a plus three or plus four. Uh, I would also maybe give it where the, allow the spear to protect the wielder from sleep spells because again, he was able to go three days without sleep. Next is Dobriana's whip. And when we're talking about a whip here, we're not talking about the Simon Belmont Castlevania vampire killer style whip. We're talking about the type of whip that you would use to uh, make a horse run faster. It was said that he used this whip to heal his wounded horse. Because again, as he was battling some young dragons, one of them bit his horse and injured it. So I would give it a couple different abilities. Like his spear, I would allow the whip to give a horse or other mount the ability to continue past the point where it succumbed to exhaustion. I would also give it the ability to cast a heal spell once per day, but again, it would only work on on riding animals like horses, Though I could also see it being useful for like a camel or donkeys, basically any sort of animal that you can ride.
The last weapon I'd like to talk about is the sword of Alyosha Popovich. Now, as I mentioned before, he was pictured more of a trickster hero. And in that he usually would try to outwit or outsmart his opponents rather than overcome them with brute strength. I first learned about this hero in a book that I actually mentioned a few other times. Uh, It's a, I'm pretty sure it's out of print by now, but when I was younger, my parents got my sister and I a series of books called Childcraft. And there is one called Myths and Legends. And there was a story in there called The Dreadful Guest. And this was one of the tales of Alyosha Popovich. Now, there's several variations to the story, but I'm going to mostly focus on the version of the story that I'm familiar with. So the story goes that Prince Vladimir of Kiev was having a great feast. So there were a lot of nobles and merchants and princes there, as well as several heroes. And again, as I said before, you may recall that the hero at a feast is a common element in Bailini. Uh, Usually that's in the first part, the introduction. Suddenly, a horrible creature came stomping into the hall. It was Tugarin the dragon. And it was said he was twice as tall as a man with teeth like spikes and claws like knives. And he could breathe fire. He walked up to the table, pushed himself between the prince and his wife. No one said a word. And everyone was too frightened. Except for, of course, our hero, Alyosha Popovich. He glared angrily at the monster and in a loud voice said, What kind of ill-mannered creature are you? Before the dragon could reply, servants entered the room carrying a huge roast swan on a platter. They sat down the platter in front of the prince, but before the prince could start carving it, the dragon snatched it up and swallowed it whole. To this, Popovich replied, You have no more manners than a pig. I hope you choke to death on the bones. Tugarin scowled making all the guests shudder in fear, but Ilosha Popovich simply laughed. Next, the servants brought a huge flagon of wine. They placed the wine in front of the princess, but the dragon seized the flagon and in an instant drank every drop of wine. What a glutton, yelled Ilosha Popovich. My father once had a cow who was the same way. One day she broke into the cellar and drank so much wine she swelled up and burst. I hope that happens to you, Turagan Dragon. Now this was too much for the dragon. He sprang to his feet. Will you come outside and fight me, Alosha Popovich, he roared. Of course, said the hero with a cheerful smile. Tugarin stepped out of the room. Alosha Popovich followed. And the princess, he begged him not to go challenge him because everyone was sure that he would be killed. And of course, everyone, all the guests at the feast, also felt that the hero, as great as he was, had no chance. And they even began to make bets as to how long it would take for the dragon to finish him off. So the hero and the dragon walked out to the palace courtyard, where the dragon awaited him. Alyosha walked out to the palace courtyard, where the dragon awaited him. He strolled forward until he was standing right in front of 
Tugarin, but he didn't draw his sword. Well, Alosha Popovich, how would you like to die? asked the dragon with a dreadful smile. Shall I chew you to bits with my spiked teeth? Shall I slice you to pieces with my knife claws? Shall I roast you to a cinder with my fiery breath? But Ilosha put his hands on his hips and scowled. Now see here, Tugarin Dragon, he said angrily. This was to be a fight between just the two of us. He pointed at something behind the dragon. Why have you brought an army here to help you fight? Now it's said that dragons are not very clever, but heroes are. So Tugarin turned his head to see what Popovich was talking about. Quick as a finger snap, Alyosha drew his sword and cut off the monster's head. So he then strolled back into the hall to, and of course everyone was cheering and applauding him, and our hero sat down to eat. So that's the version I first read about, but I did hear there's another variation where, now apparently the type of creature that Tugarin is, they could be shapeshifters. And there was one version that uh, he was actually on a horse, and the horse had wings, but Alyosha noticed that the horse's wings were made of paper. So when the uh, horse took to the sky, or the dragon took to the sky, he said a prayer for asking for rain, which after which the rain, of course, caused the wings to get ruined, and he was able to finish him off. Now there's another variation I read about where when Alosha was at the feast, he had his squire with him, and Tugarin threw a dagger at uh, Alosha after he insulted him, but his squire caught the dagger and handed it to Alosha, where he proclaimed that he now had something to cut the dragon's heart out with. And again, and while the story of the now while the story of Alosha Popovich I'm familiar with has him cutting the dragon's head off with a sword, there is a another version of the story that says that he actually uh, somehow knocked the dragon's head off with a staff. So how would we stat out this sword? Now, of course, giving it the properties of a sword of dragon slain would make the most sense. But I think we can also give it another property as well. In addition to having the normal powers of a sword of dragon slain, I would give it the abilities of a Vorpal Sword. However, those severing abilities would only come into play when the character is using it to attack a dragon. Well, there you have it. A little bit of information about Russian and Slavic folk heroes. Also, you got to learn a little bit about uh, Russian and Slavic poetry, as well as some weapons that Maybe you'll find some use for in your Dungeons and Dragons or your fantasy role-playing game campaign. So with that said, I'd like to thank you all for tuning in. Have a good evening or morning or afternoon. Whatever it is, wherever you are. And happy gaming. You have been listening to a program from the Point of Insanity Network. 
visit us at poigamestudio.podbean.com for more shows. Follow us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at POI Game Studio. <laughs>